For those of you who may not um, know me, and I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Elisa Bast. Um, <clears throat> I used to serve as a pastor in the RCA, and now I currently serve, um, I will soon be serving as the Vice President of Program and Leadership Development for a national evangelism ministry that focuses on women. So I'm really grateful. Um, Stonecroft Ministries out of Kansas City, but I get to work from Portage, so I get to stay close to wonderful congregations like this one. Um, but most importantly, I am a passionate follower of Jesus. I am a mom to two um, amazing boys that keep me on my knees, um, and to a husband um, that after this week of no power has also kept me on my knees. Um, <laughs> oh, friends, this week. Um, when you're a team, <laughs> at all transparency, I just, I've been here enough where I can, can I, do I have permission to be real in this house? Is that okay? Okay, thank you. Um, when your team um, asked if I would be available this week, I was just like, oh, as much as I can say yes here at Hope Church, you are an amazing congregation. I always feel very welcome here, and I have been so blessed to just pray alongside of you and to serve you when um, it's been needed, but I am so grateful for what God is doing in this congregation. But usually it's a week where I try to settle myself in, and God, what are you saying? Like, as I'm leading up, um, but then we had a little thing called the ice storm and the power outage, and we just got power back last night. Now, somewhere along the way, I'm just like, you know, our forebears studied the scriptures by candlelight. <laughs> and here I am fussing, because I'm just like, I can't see. And I'm looking like, I know there's a Thompson, you know, red letter, Thompson chain study Bible somewhere, and I can't see it. And I'm like, so on top of that, you know, my kids handled it so amazingly well. And we had zero strife in the house this week. <laughs> so... I'm praying and going, God, help me still myself. Help me still my, sit down, sit, no, nothing works. I'm sorry, no Wi-Fi for nobody. And that's how this week has went. And I am so grateful because of the journey that God has taken me on and just unpacking Mark 9 for you um, has spoken to me this week when I needed it the most, when my family needed it the most. Um, and as we were checking on our neighbors who also needed it and we were checking on our friends who needed it, and that we just recognized a lot of people felt like they were in the same space that we were. So I know, Hope Church, that you're walking through the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark is so fascinating to me. Um, for those of you who don't know, my degrees are business degrees, <laughs> which is always fascinating to me. Um, and I remember in business school, Mark, they encouraged us to read Mark because Mark is, has a staccato rhythm to it. Mark is kind of like, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't give a lot of context. He's just like... You know, and you always kind of feel at the end like, ooh, I mean, but it's like meat and nugget every single chapter, boom, 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 boom. And so they encouraged us that just if you really want to like lean in, if you want to get like big, like meaty meals and like snack sized portions, that Mark was the way to go. And what's fascinating to me about the book of Mark is that you could tell that it's written for, it's, it's written by a convert. It's not a Jewish Jew, you know, it's not a Jerusalem Jew. Um, here's a person who's writing for a Roman audience, for people who maybe are experiencing faith um, for the first time, faith in Jesus in a different way. And Mark is sharing these stories and he's giving you like the big meaty nuggets of who Jesus is and what his story is about. Not a ton of fluff, not a lot of context, but he's just kind of landing in on the character and the nature of Jesus. And so I love Mark because if when you dig into, if you're willing to just lean into Mark, you will find out so much about the very nature of God and the very nature of Jesus Christ in a very short amount of time. So I'm grateful that you guys are journeying through Mark. 
Now, Mark 8, before we get into Mark 9, I'm giving you some context before I get into Scripture. Some of you get Nancy. That's okay. Um, He's just fed 4,000. He's just had an incredible, miraculous experience that thousands and thousands and thousands of people have experienced. Mark 8 kind of leads us into this space where you're just like, wow, look at what Jesus did. Look what he can do. And then after that, he takes this big, miraculous experience and draws it down to one man and heals a blind man. And so here we see that Jesus is walking through the area of uh, Caesarea, Philippi, and he's journeying with his disciples. A whole crowd is following him, and he's performing big miracles. He's touching people individually. And then we get to Mark 9, which starts in the middle of a conversation. What I love is that in the middle of a crowd and in the middle of disciples, after six days, almost a week, Jesus decides to call three of his disciples with him. So we see Peter, James, and John, and they head up to a high mountain, and they have this experience with Jesus where he prays. Now what that means then is that there's a crowd that's waiting at the bottom of the mountain. There's nine disciples that are waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And so if you're following with me in Mark 9, we're going to pick up in verse 14. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. When they returned to the other disciples, this would be Jesus, this would be Peter, John, and James, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe but help me overcome my unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful as we started our time um, in worship this morning through prayer, through fellowship even, God, that the songs and this building and these spaces remind us of your faithfulness. God, the enduring truth over the ages that, God, you have had your hand on us, that you have held us, and that even when we were faithless, that you remained faithful. God, I pray as we enter into your scriptures today, in this time of teaching, Jesus, less of me, more of you. God, would our hearts be open to what your Holy Spirit would like to say to us. May we be challenged in spaces, God, that we haven't considered. God, help us to grow faith to faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there's a part in here where I look at Jesus and I'm like, whoa, little shots fired, little, 
you know, he comes down and has this incredible experience. And you have to imagine, you know, I mean, Peter, James, and John, they had like, you know, they saw, they saw the prophets of old. I mean, just this incredible experience. And I know as a parent, like, I feel what Jesus is feeling. You know, I've had a great day, come out of some good meetings, you know, and I see my kids just at it at each other. And I'm like, what's happening? What's going on? And so there's a part when Jesus is like, I felt that to my core when I was reading it this week, because I'm like, I am here with you, Jesus, in there. And he says, you faithless people. I mean, there's a part in there where I can just even feel the frustration for Jesus. Literally, not a week before, they had experienced his miraculous power to feed them in the middle of their hunger, that somebody was blind and was able to see. And here they were. I mean, you have the crowd in the mix. You have his disciples trying to make something happen in the mix, and we're failing in real time in front of a whole group of people. And then on top of that, you have some religious leaders of the law. It's like, I told you this wasn't going to work. You know, and so inside of that, Jesus comes out of this beautiful space where they had just experienced the presence of God and immediately had descended into chaos, arguing over how to do it right, trying and failing and feeling like you're trying to move forward. This is the reality that I feel as a parent so many times. But I would just say, isn't there a space where we feel like that too? And we're like, man, we are just trying. Why does this feel so chaotic? What is this? And in the middle of it, Jesus just stops and he calls out their faithlessness in verse 19. And I would have just said, maybe it's my patience. I mean, that's what I feel. Maybe grace. But there was a part in there that the chaos of that moment was deeply rooted in their faithlessness. And I was like, what a weird response. Like, well, of all the things that you could have yelled at, you know, or just been frustrated by, or like put your hand on your hip for, here Jesus says, you faithless people. So I was like, well, who's he talking to? Because the crowd is a mixed bag. I mean, here you have a crowd. I mean, there's religious teachers. You have his disciples in there. You've got a whole crowd of people who just kind of kept following along. So I mean, man, he's calling out everybody. And then if it doesn't even get worse, you're just looking at this and then Jesus asks, like, what's going on? You know, and this father, I can't even imagine the desperation of this father that's like, please help my kid if you can. And Jesus' response is, if I can. And I'm like, wow, you know, Jesus, you know, you just came out of a pretty big experience yourself. You know, why so angry? Why so frustrated? And there's a part in there where I just love Jesus' humanity. Because it's not that Jesus is just annoyed. I don't think Jesus was annoyed in this moment. What I think is, is that Jesus desperately wanted them to stand back and say, I just recognize that God moved. But my immediate inclination is to lose faith. And I was like, ooh, that kind of feels like me some days. Now, we're reminded in the Psalms that God's mercies are new every morning, and I don't think it's because I'm just like, oh, it's a wonderful thing to sing. I think it's our memory is so small and so short sometimes that we forget when that new morning hits that we're just like, God moved on my behalf yesterday. The goodness of God was present all day yesterday. I have to be reminded every morning. And so in my own spiritual rhythms, at the beginning of February, I'm, I'm trying to use a prayer journal to help focus my thoughts for prayer. And 
at the beginning of the month, it said, what, would, what characteristic of God would you like to focus on for February? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to focus here. And I was trying to think of something super holy to say, you know, that would be awesome. Like a year from now, I'd be like, wow. And what really, when I settled my spirit, it was like, I need to focus on God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. And I was like, I've grown up in church. You know, there's a part where I'm just like, really? But I felt it so deeply in my core that this February, I wanted to focus on God's faithfulness. And so as I read Mark 9, and as I read uh, just, uh, as I read the emotion in Jesus's response, I was like, okay, Lord, then what is faith? And then what really then is faithfulness? Now, I do not mean to unpack what is faith in this like small time that we had together today. There's, the gospels are so rich, and then even on the epistles are so rich of what faithfulness is, even the Old Testament. But as a jumping off point before, if you, I encourage you to dig into James because um, it talks about works and deeds and how we express our faith. But I want to also take you, it's impossible almost to read this scripture, um, this passage in Mark 9 and not go into Hebrews 11. So if you're following along with me and you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go to Hebrews 11 with me. Now in the um, New Living Translation, right at the beginning, faith shows us the reality of what we hope for it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, this is talking about the, like this is they call it the hall of faith, the heroes of faith that are in these scriptures. The people in days of old earned a good reputation. Verse three. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we can't see. I grew up um, in a translation that says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things we can't see. And when we unpack substance in verse 1, when it talks about it in the original Greek, what it's talking about is assurance. I can take this to the bank. It is a promise. And when it talks about evidence, it's talking about proof. I've seen it, so I believe it. God has come through. I have prayed and God has shown up. And we know because of this assurance and this proof, everything that we see is because of God's word, God's command that the universe was formed. And what I realized for my own self as I was reading Mark 9 and Hebrews 11 at the same time, that I have lived in a space where my faith has only grown because of proof, not because of assurance. I grew up in a faith tradition where it was like, okay, you put out your faith, you extended your faith out there, God came through, boop, my faith increased. I'm praying and I'm asking God, okay, God, I need for you to do this. God came through, boop, my faith increased. And that was how my faith grew. I was living solely on the gas tank of proof. Now, and I would say that God is faithful. God is amazingly faithful. And so there were times where it's like, okay, but it came, became confusing. When I saw things, I'm like, okay, well, I thought this was going to happen by now. So what does that do for my faith if it only grows by proof? Well, I'm just, I'm waiting. Where's, where, where's the proof? And I would just challenge you back that Hebrews 11, and where I'm being challenged today, is that Hebrews 11.1 1 says it's not just proof, but it's assurance. I can't rest that my faith only grows because of what I've seen manifest today. Now, 
Part of this is I'm also reading a study on Elijah, and I was just like, oh, you know, Elijah, and I love, like, the big experience. I love the prophets of Baal. I love all the things. And I even love the humanity of Elijah where he's sitting under a tree and he feels like he's by himself. But there was a tiny tucked-in scripture inside of that study that I was just like, oh, like, this is weird. They put Hebrews 11 here. Too. I'm reading Hebrews 11. And if you pop down to verse 8, like up until now, they talked about Noah. We talked about Abraham. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, okay, this is amazing. And then it starts to, for me, started to go a little sideways about verse 8. And I'm like, oh, because in verse 8, it says that he inherited a promise. I'm like, as we think about inheritances, could you imagine if you put in your will, I promise you it's going to get better. I would hate to sit in that wake where people are like, wait, what? Like, we, we inherited a promise? <laughs> Where's the rest? And it says they inherited a promise. They didn't inherit the stuff. They inherited a promise. And I'm like, wow. But then if it didn't feel like that was going sideways, verse 13 really put me on my knees. And I had to close up the study. I put it down, and I said, oh, no. Because it said, all these heroes of faith, we talk about the highlight reel, these people seeing God move. We have the luxury of the end of the story. They did not. Because verse 13 says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them, and they did not receive what was promised. They saw it all from a distance, and they welcomed it. Because they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. I was like, oh. Like, oh no. Because if your faith only grows by proof, what happens when you die and it's something still far off? Here they were, heroes of faith. People that were able to like stand and say, I am a foreigner and a nomad, and a stranger in a strange land, but I will still keep moving forward. I will still serve God. I will still keep going, knowing that what was promised is far off and then I'm going to give that to my kids as an inheritance, that something good is coming. And I was like, oh, man. In my own reality and in my own humanity, I was like, this is the worst. Because if my faith is only growing by what I can see, how are these people heroes of faith and they never saw it? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If proof was enough, Mark 8 should have had them so set up and ready. There shouldn't have been an argument when Jesus came down from the mountain because they had seen it. They had seen the proof of what God could do. If God could heal blind man through Jesus, if Jesus could feed 4,000 men and all the women and children and have some left over, my goodness, by the time they got to one kid, they shouldn't have been arguing if proof was simply enough. But we have an assurance. And friends, this is where I'm leaning into today, is there are things I've been praying for for so long, and if it was only proof and not just the assurance, there's no way my faith could build or grow. Now, if you're following with me, I encourage you to go to Hebrews 12. As you're leaning into the Lent season, Jesus himself was on a journey. 
that Jesus himself was faithfully every day walking towards the cross, trusting in the end that the assurance of who God was would bring about the desired outcome. If his disciples would have waited for proof, if Jesus would have just waited for proof, there's no way he would have faithfully made it to the cross because our assurance only grows in one way, and that is knowing who God is. The more we study the scriptures, the more we still ourselves and listen to the heartbeat of God, that is the only way our assurance grows because God is faithful. First Thessalonians reminds us, God is faithful. Nothing about God ever changes. And the proof, there's, I mean, the proof is God moving on our behalf in ways that we couldn't expect, maybe even ways we didn't even think of. But that second part of our faith, that incubator where our faith grows, is just our assurance in the very nature of who God is. Because we can easily fall into the trap that I have to do everything to make my faith actual. And friends, I tell you, that is a dangerous pit when things don't go the way we thought they were going to go and we wonder, maybe I just didn't have enough faith. We've all been there. We've all been there. What could I have done differently? What did I not do right? What did, did I not pray hard enough? I got to tell you, like this, this to me, <laughs> um, we had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for five years for my aunt's healing. And I will tell you, it was like a bomb dropped in my family when she passed away. And not because of the original illness she was in the hospital for. And it shook us. It shook our family. And I would say we are a family deeply rooted in faith. But we were like, where is the proof? She should have been on the other side of this. And I remember just in my own grief being deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit. Because I'm like, in five years, we saw nurses come to faith. In five years, we prayed over doctors. In five years, she was healed from things, and they saw medical miracles happen that they never would have. In five years, we were up in the middle of the night, and nurses would come in, why are you here? Why are you praying the scripture? And we'd say, do you know Jesus? Was God not faithful? But we were just so shook because we were like, what? this is not how we thought it was going to end. But everything, everything that God had asked us to faithfully walk through, he came through. And man, that is hard. Because it was that first moment when we prayed on the other side of that that we were like, do we actually believe what we say we say about God? Faith is the substance, the assurance, and the evidence. God never changed. In that journey, God never changed. And because it was not just the promise of seeing glimpses of heaven here on earth, but we also had the promise that we knew that our aunt was dancing in the presence of the Heavenly Father because she said yes to Jesus. We knew that she joined the great cloud of witnesses. We knew that there were people that would also join her because we showed up every day to pray. But man, that was hard because if it was only proof, we would have never come back from that. Faith is not just about climbing the ladder of proof. Faith is about journeying and understanding the very nature and the presence of God. That even if something is far off, that we can still be counted a hero of faith because we trust in God's faithfulness at the end. 
Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Like you have to imagine, as we think about Lent, you know, there were people there. If he's the son of God, let him call down God. Could he have done it? Yes. Would that have been proof? Absolutely. But Jesus faithfully took every step through the book of Mark, through the book of John, through the book of Luke, through the book of Matthew. He took every faithful step to the cross, not because of all the proof of the things he saw along the way, but he trusted his heavenly father. Hebrews 12 reminds us that because of the promise that was set before him, because of what he saw in his scope, what he saw in his line of vision, is not all the steps that were leading up to there, but the faithfulness of God in the journey and at the very end. We have to release ourselves from the burden of trying to prove God by the proof statements. Well, he did this and he did that. All those things are true. And... And let me tell you about who God is. Because that's what we take to the bank. Because God is not um, bound by our imagination of only doing things the way that we pray. We will limit God's proof by our own imagination. And God does things that are frankly shocking. If he can use a donkey and a bush, friends, I would have never prayed for those things, okay? Like, I mean, they're proof on the other side, but in the moment, I would have been like, oh my gosh, like the world is ending. Like, this is weird. <laughs> but it's about who, that the assurance is in who God is, the very nature of who God is, that Jesus himself would have willfully submitted unbelievable amounts of shame, frustration, disappointment, heartache, because at the end, God is. We are living in times of chaos and weirdness. I mean, half the things we don't even know are true anymore. I mean, technology is wild. But nothing about God changes. If I only wait for proof, I'm missing out on a whole big bunch of the story. So as we lean, as we lean into Lent, as we talk about the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, who Jesus is, why he would endure the cross, I would just say that not only did Jesus understand who his heavenly father was because he spent time with him, because he prayed, he had grown up studying the scriptures, it also helped Jesus understand who he was. In Mark 9, he responds back, if I can, He knew he could, not because he's like, I'm Jesus. <laughs> if anything, John 15 through 17 reminds us that he only did what he saw his father doing. He only said what he heard his father say. So if he can, he can because God can. He says because God says. He loves because God loves. He challenges because God corrects and disciplines. 
The journey of Lent in Mark 9 is for us to become more and more like Jesus because we're following Jesus as he walks to the Heavenly Father and walks with the Heavenly Father. You can't get close to Jesus without getting close to the broken, but you also can't get close to Jesus without getting closer and closer to the very heartbeat of God. And I will say, some of us have grown up our whole lives and we don't know our parents. Like, we know of our parents. Like, I think that frustrated our parents. But the older we get, the more time we spend with our parents. We understand their stories and we hear why they made the decisions they made. There is something about us that the tension of maybe some of the decisions that we were frustrated by or the things that we love soften and deepen and grow as we hear their heart and we understand their story. Time and closeness, proximity does something in us that, that nothing else can do. I think about my own journey with my parents as I get closer to my parents and as I understand and hear their stories, there are parts of me that I'm like, oof, I will do that differently. But there are so many things that I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad they did what they did. I understand. And you only get that with proximity. You only get that with curiosity. You only get that by journeying together. Assurance, growing in our faith by assurance, is a journey of discovery of God. Now, I know um, I'm jumping ahead, so... Okay, thank you. I'm just looking for permission here. Like, I know you all gave me permission, but I'm also getting permission from the house house. <laughs> There's so much in Mark. I don't know if you're going to hit here. So Mark 11, um, I love that Jesus kind of like wraps up part of his time with his disciples, and he says it in a very blunt command. Again, Mark, the gospel of meaty chewiness and snack-sized portions. And he just says, have faith in God. And without reading Mark 9, without reading Hebrews 11 and 12, without reading all those things, you're just like, wow, that's, that's kind of weird. And here it is, we have the advantage of the whole story, that we can see the very heartbeat of God towards his people, the way he wants to discipline us, the way he wants to grow us, the way he wants to love us, the way he affirms us. And so we have faith in God, because proof says we have faith when he does it, but assurance says we have faith because of who he is. Both of those things work together. One has become more important than the other. They work together to grow our faith. Peter would have never declared in Mark 8 that Jesus was God's son without faith. He wouldn't have known up until then. He saw some miracles, but even before he had his experience of God's radical forgiveness and the radical forgiveness that he experienced from Jesus at the cross, that he was able to say by faith that Jesus was God's son. If I can, in Mark 9, can I heal your boy? If I can. Because everything is possible to someone who believes. So my friends, I invite you to journey with me in this series. I invite you to journey with me in the season of Lent. I want to know more about the character and the nature of God because that is where my faith grows in assurance because I believe in the very character and nature of God, I want to pray big, bold prayers where I have additional proof. I want those things to work together where even if I don't see it in my day, that I can see the promise far off for my kids, for the people I'm investing in, for the ministries I get the privilege of serving, for the people I don't even know that will say yes to Jesus yet, but know that they can 
and hoping that they will. That I can take my own journey to the places where God is calling me to die to myself and to die to the own things that I wish I had and the dreams that I have for myself. And I say, you know what? I will joyfully set forward on the journey that you've given to me because your cross was worth it for the people who haven't said yes yet. Let's pray. Jesus, I think about all the ways and places where you could have just said, you know what, this is too much. I think about the authority that you had as both the Son of Man and the Son of God, where you could have called down angels. And you said, I will faithfully walk this through because you trusted the Heavenly Father's heart towards you. And you trusted the Heavenly Father's heart towards every single person who would come after you. God, may we know you more. May our prayer time be so rich. When we study the scriptures, God, when we read, would your personality and who you are jump off the page in us? Would it settle the questions that we have inside of us? Would it challenge us to lean in more? God, I pray that as we think about all the things that you are and who you are and how you love us, that God, it would increase our faith because we know that if you're a good father, we won't ask for bread and get a stone. We won't ask for fish and get a scorpion. Your scriptures promise that to us because your heart is good towards us. So God, help us be hungry and thirsty to know your heart and know your nature so that we can walk the journey of discovering you so we can not only just have proof, but we can also have assurance that we can take to the bank. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.